Amen. Father, as we lift our eyes to you, to that risen Savior at your side, far above all rule and authority and power that we find our strength, our courage, our hope, and we pray that you would speak to us through your word, by your spirit, bring it to life in our lives. Help us not only to understand it, but to, to take it and, and put it in our footsteps, in our, the things we do with our hands and the things we speak with our mouths this week. Help us to be a people set apart, a royal priesthood, showing hope to a world that needs it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I was looking around at the, the world this week, and I don't know if any of you have felt this way. I, I kind of look around and I, I see things out there right now, kind of like a giant mud wrestling pit. Seriously, everybody's jumping in the mud and, and throwing mud at each other. There's a lot of discouragement in that mud, a lot of dis disillusionment, a lot of hopelessness. And on top of that, there's a lot of hatred for other people and, and revenge and, and just nastiness. And I'm thinking what a battle it is to, to stay out of that mud pit, to be different, to be set apart, right? Because it's tempting to jump in there. And I'd like to say, yeah, I'm always totally removed from that, that mud. I'm always totally different from the world. But I found myself in, in a conversation this week talking about current events. And, and for about a half an hour, as I shared, I, I looked back on the conversation. And I was like, man, I did not share anything different from what someone in the world could have shared. I did not share any hope, any, any focus on Christ. I just shared what people could have got off the news headlines. I, I wasn't all that different in that conversation and it convicted me because we're supposed to be different we're supposed to be shining that that light but uh most of you know that that tug of war right we know what we're called to but we know what we're tempted to <laughs> brennan manning author of the ragamuffin gospel talked about that tug of war that that we face as believers he said when i get honest i admit i'm a bundle of paradoxes i believe and i doubt I hope and I get discouraged. I love and I hate. He goes on, he says, The sweet sound of amazing grace saves us from the necessity of self-deception. It keeps us from denying that though Christ was victorious, the battle with lust, greed, and pride still rages within us. Who would say amen to that? He says, as a sinner who's been redeemed, I can acknowledge that I am often unloving, irritable, angry, and resentful with those closest to me. When I go to church, I can leave my white hat at home and admit I have failed. Do you know that? We're not here to pretend we, we all got it all right this week. This is a place where we can be real through the grace of Jesus. He closes by saying, God not only loves me as I am, but also knows me as I am. Because of this, I don't need to apply spiritual cosmetics to make myself presentable to him. I can accept ownership of my poverty and powerlessness and neediness. That's what grace does. It allows us to bring our real weak before the cross of Jesus Christ and say, I need your help. I need your cleansing. I need the power of your spirit to turn this around. 
Now, most of us know that struggle, but we also have this desire, as one man put it, to turn our theology into biography. What's he saying? He's saying, I want to take what I know up here from God's word and, and let it find its way into my life. Many of us desire that, but there's questions like, how do we do that? How do we stand firm in this world? How do we stay out of that mud pit that so many are sinking in? What will make us stand out as, as that lighthouse, that beacon of hope in, in a world where the, the waves are crashing? Only a relationship of faith with Jesus Christ. Only a walk with Him where His Spirit empowers us to follow in His footsteps. You say, well, that's great, but what does it look like? That's what Peter's going to show us this week. What does that walk with Christ and the power of the Spirit look like? How does it keep us out of that mud pit? First Peter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have... And then he's going to give us this grocery list of, of five things that characterized Christ, and that ought to characterize us as his followers in this world. And I think we do good to take inventory. Uh, just like when I'm at the store and I'm shopping and I'm checking the list Carolyn put on our grocery app, make sure, do I have that all? Do I have that? Let's do that with this list. As a follower of Christ, does this represent who I am? He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind. Unity of mind. Now, let me tell you what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean we're all going to have the same opinions about everything in the world, nor should we try to. That's a, a waste of time. What it does mean is that in the church, we should all be so very focused on the Word of God, the Bible, not just on Sundays, but in our everyday lives, that as we all spend time in there, what happens? We all start thinking the same things because we're reading the same book. Unity of mind around the things of God because we're focused on His Word. Sympathy. That is the ability to rejoice with those who rejoice, kind of enter into their joy and celebrate with them, and mourn with those who are mourning. One of the things that happens when the world goes crazy like it is now is our, our first instinct is to go into hibernation mode. Got to protect me and mine, right? That's the first instinct. But Peter's saying, get, get, get beyond that. Look beyond the horizons of our homes, our church, and look out there and find ways to get into the lives of others and their joys and their hurts. Brotherly love. Brotherly love was on display this weekend. Our, our president's brother passed away, Robert Trump. And President Trump said, he was my best friend. That's brotherly love on display. He's saying, let that be the case in the church too. Love each other that way. As brothers and, and sisters in, in Christ. Through all the ups and downs. A tender heart has the idea of from the guts feeling, kind of feeling what other people are going through. And one of the dangers in a world like ours is we see so many headlines day after day after day after day on the television, on our computers, 
everywhere else that, that we read the horrors and what happens, we become numb. And we start to believe this lie, like what difference can I make in, in this world of hurt? There's just so much. And, and we become unfeeling. Peter's saying, don't do that. Have a tender heart. And I think one way we can do that is to realize it's where we are at that we can make the biggest difference. Rather than looking all around the world all the time before God and say, where am I? What people have you put in my life, in my home, in my neighborhood, in my workplace, in my church? What are they going through? What, what is hurting them and how can I be a blessing there? Imagine if Christians all around this country said, I'm going to focus on the circle around me and what a difference I can make there. All of a sudden you see these many circles popping up all around the country and it would spread. Grassroots, tender-hearted love for each other and a humble mind. Humble mind, put others first. Consider them more important than myself. This is Christ did, right? He goes on to get, I think, really practical for our world today. You read this, it's like, man, this is everywhere. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. When I read that first line, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. That second part means heaping abuse on others, either verb verbally or physically. Is that not what we see so much of in our world? We see people shredding each other. I have this picture in my mind this week. It's as though we're on this battlefield, and all around us there are people laying wounded and, and slashing and, and cutting each other looking for revenge and, and to get even with and, and revile others. And he says, on the contrary, you, you don't do that. You bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. What's this shredding out there look like? It's like Proverbs 21.10. The soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. There's a severe mercy shortage in our world today. People don't want to extend mercy. They want to extend vengeance on each other. I think of us walking on that battlefield and all these people cutting and, and killing and destroying each other with evil and reviling. And I, I have this picture that we should be those walking with medicine bottles among the wounded. Medicine bottles that hold the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yes, there is some strong medicine that doesn't always taste good in that gospel. The truth isn't always pleasing, but it's always offered in love. Because we are here as ambassadors who realize our primary battle is not with flesh and blood. It is with Satan and his evil forces. What if we were those ones on the battlefield with the medicine bottle of Jesus? Micah 6, 8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. God does care about justice, and there are times to speak up about that. But He doesn't stop there. And to love mercy. And to walk humbly 
with your God. It's all of the above. You say, well, when he says to bless people, that's like one of those Bible words that sounds cool, like bless you, Sister Mary. Bless you, Billy. What does it mean? Well, in Jesus' preaching, we get hints and, and clear statements. One, it means to pray for those who persecute us. It means to forgive them, to have mercy on them as, as our Father has mercy on us. And I want to give you a real tangible example. Raise your hand if you've heard of Corey Tinbu. Okay, she wrote a couple of powerful books. One of them was Tramp for the Lord. And in that book, she talks about how her and her sister Betsy were part of a family that hid Jews during World War II from the Nazis. But eventually, Corey and her sister were caught and put in a concentration camp. Long after the war, she went to speak about forgiveness at a meeting, and as she looked out, she saw one of the guards from the concentration camp that she had been in as she was speaking on the theme of forgiveness. And here's her description of what ran through her mind. She said it came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, my sister, how thin you were. Now he's in front of me with his hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein, he said. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard in there. See, she recognized him, but he did not recognize her. He went on, but since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, his hand came out. Will you forgive me? She said, I stood there. I whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and I could not. Betsy, my sister, had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. I knew I had to do it. Jesus had said, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You, please supply the feeling. She said, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. And I think for some of us right here, we're thinking she missed a great chance to get even. Oh, she missed it. Let me tell you what she gained. 
she closes by saying, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did at that moment. What she gained far outweighed anything she would have gained by getting even at that moment. Not reviling for reviling, not evil for evil, but being a blessing. That's what we're called to. And we all have a choice every day, whether we're going to jump in the mud pit or not. Every, every morning we wake up. Verse 10, he, he goes on to quote from Psalm 34. Peter's a good Jewish boy. He knows his Bible. Grew up on it. For whoever desires to love life and see good days... How many of you say, that's me? I want to love life. I want to love it, savor it. I want, I want to see good days. Well, here's the recipe. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. This is the opposite of what the world says. What does the world tell us? If you feel angry and mad, just say it. Whatever's on your heart, just, just do it. Let it out. Let the rage explode. Right? Some of us have lived our lives that way, and, and maybe you're sitting here this morning just trapped in that bitterness and hating life. And you realize that the world has lied. They, they told you you'd feel better, but you feel worse. If you've had enough of bitterness and hating life, if you want to love life again and see good days, commit this morning. I'm going to keep my tongue from evil with the Lord's help. I'm going to stop speaking deceitfully. I'm going to turn away from evil this week. I'm going to do good. I'm going to seek peace as much as is possible with me and pursue it with those in my world. I think some of us hear that and say, well, but if I do that, who's going to look out for me, right? That will make me totally vulnerable in a vicious world. Totally vulnerable. Here's a sweet promise. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil got to choose which we want that first part's a sweet promise eyes of the lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer i, I read that and i think about a psalm psalm 6 8 where david writes depart from me all you workers of evil for the lord has heard the sound of my weeping and we know they're workers of evil right Satan and his forces primarily, but sometimes they use people and they seek to devour us. And when, when he says, depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping, my mind raced to Discovery Channel. When the, the baby lion gets away from the, the pride and, and the hyenas surround the baby lion seeking its death, that baby lion cries out. And then Papa Lion comes and protects that little one. And it's all over. That's us as God's children. 
Yeah, you're going to feel vulnerable because you're not the one seeking revenge, looking for vengeance, trying to strike back, but someone far stronger, far greater than you has got your back. Trust him with this list. Live this way. Cry out to him and let him work. We've got to stay out of the mud pit. Second thing we've got to do is God's children in this world, for ourselves and for the world around us, we have to hold on to hope right now. With, with all we've got. Because there is suffering in this world. Verse 13, Peter says, Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now, if you've been with us in this book, you know Peter is not saying you will not be physically harmed in this world if you follow Christ. That's part of why he's writing this book, to, to warn these people that that's coming and to get ready. So what does he mean when he says, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? He's saying suffering will come to you in this world as a follower of Christ. But take courage. They cannot touch your soul. They got nothing on you there. It's, it's the same idea as Paul writes in Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Down to verse 36, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's why Jesus said, don't fear those who can take the body. Fear him who can, can throw your soul into hell. The fear of God is the one fear, it's been said, that frees us from all other fears. If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 14, he says, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them nor be troubled. I want to talk about the you'll be blessed part. Jesus talked about those who acknowledge me, I'll acknowledge them before my Father. He talks about rewards for those who are persecuted on His behalf and remain faithful. There's a, an inheritance coming that is imperishable, unfading. You will be blessed. But then He goes on, have no fear of them, those who trouble you, nor be troubled. And you say, how can I not be troubled? Did you read the paper this morning? Did you, did you check out the news website? How can I not be troubled? Verse 15 is the answer. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Some translations say, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. And what that means is, I think a lot of us have a really clear picture of Jesus on the cross, the suffering servant. And we're so thankful for the Lamb of God who came to die for our sins. But here he's challenging us to take our theology beyond that. Through the resurrection to the ascension where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all rule and authority and power. And he is saying, you want to have no fear of what they can do to you? You set him apart through your eyes of faith like that and keep your eyes locked on him. That's where the boldness comes from. That's where the faithfulness will come from. A big view of Jesus. 
And this church Peter was writing to would need it. If it hadn't begun already, there was a movement happening in the empire where people were forced to pay allegiance to Caesar as Lord. That presents a dilemma for the Christian because for the Christian, there is only one Lord. And it cost many of them many things. Their livelihood cost some of them being imprisoned, cost some of them being ridiculed, and it cost some of them their lives. The only thing that kept them faithful was a big view of the one and only Lord of the universe. Have no fear nor be troubled. You want to be that way? Set apart Christ the Lord as holy. He goes on to say, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. we got a couple elements in there. There's the preparedness. We are called to be prepared to explain why we have our faith put in Jesus. Are we prepared? But also assume something. He says to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. What does that assume? That people should look at our lives and see something different than what else is going on in the world. They see a hope. They see a courage. They see a faith. And they want to say, what, what's that person got that I don't have? And listen, I know we all want to help people out there. I, I, I believe there's a heart in this church to love this world and, and bring hope. But I'm telling you, if we're going to jump into the quicksand of despair that this world is in, we had better have a rope that we're holding on to to help pull them out. And you know, that rope is hope. It's hope. Hope has been defined as faith on its tiptoes, looking into the future, to all those promises God has made, and keeping our eyes locked there. Never-ending story. How many of you remember that movie? <laughs> One of my favorites from the, from the 80s. Never-ending story. Anybody sing it with me? Uh, you, you, you remember the story if you're a fan. There's this imaginary land of Fantasia. It's made up of the stuff of kids' imaginations, but as the kids stop reading books in the real world, something evil and dark called the nothing starts to spread over Fantasia. And where there was beauty and splendor before, there's just black darkness. I have a brother-in-law in Ohio. He's not a preacher, but he could be one here. He's a Home Depot manager. And I'm going to quote something he said about the never-ending story. He said, I just watched never-ending story with the kids. What a great classic. I do have to say that a quote in the movie really hit me today. One of the quotes in the movie, those without hope are the easiest to control. And he went on to say this. He said, there's a lot going on in the world today. Our futures are our kids, and, and then their kids. We need to continue to teach them to dream and have hope. With the noise of the world, this can be easily lost. With the amount of electronics kids are on, parents focused on blasting each other on social media for opinions, people's lack of respect towards each other is just taking us away from what's important. That is the growth and development of the next generation. I believe more important than ever, we need to engage our kids, teach what's right from wrong, teach them to dream, teach them that nothing comes easy, challenges will happen, and that the Lord is by their sides always. 
All kids deserve and need this strength right now. We are foolish if we think they are not impacted by what is going on and don't see our actions. I love his challenge to pass hope on to our kids. Peter talks about that. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And I, I put the two together and I ask, do our kids see hope in us? Do they see it? Does, does the world outside of the church see hope? In us, Or do they look and they see the same nothing that is overtaking the world out there, the same malaise, discouragement, and hopelessness that is overcoming everyone else? What will history say about the church of Jesus Christ during this season of time? Will history look back and say God's people weren't reading His Word? anymore. They, they weren't praying. And they were being overcome by the same nothing as everybody else. Or will history look back and say God's people were devouring His Word as if their lives depended on it? Will history look back and say they were praying like their lives depended on it? They say they were filled with hope even in the middle of the greatest darkness we got to be a people who want to fight back against the nothing people who will fight to get in the word to choose hope to choose joy because start right here this morning if there's some choices that need to be made hope is hard in this world because this world comes with what disappointment right battles against our hope but I wrote something by read something by a lady named Busy Thomas this week I do not know if that's just an author's pen name or if her parents actually named her Busy Busy Thomas though talked about this struggle between hope and joy and and disappointment part of her struggle comes from she's she's single and, and she wants to be married but she's not okay that's a real real world disappointment she's wrestling through Here's what she said. She said, disappointment had trapped me in a place that I could not get out of. A place of darkness, negativity, bitterness, and apathy. But then she said, she, she pulled out her Bible and went to 1 Thessalonians 5, which says, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. And she goes on to write that the truth is happiness is an emotional response. Joy is a choice. It's a choice. I could choose joy no matter how I felt. I could choose to find things to be thankful for, to rejoice in, even when I was feeling sad. And she said, I began to thank God for the things I did have in my life. I began fighting for my joy, actively choosing it wherever I could. Then she quotes from a paraphrase in Psalm 42, verse 11. Why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? Fix my eyes on God. Soon I'll be praising again. He puts a smile on my face. He's my God. I love that. Will we be a people who fight for joy? A people who fight for hope? Peter says as you share that answer, yet do it with gentleness and respect. 
how we deliver the, the hope that we have is just as important as the hope that we have. With gentleness and respect for that other person. Having a good conscience. That means making sure your behavior lines up with, with what, you're, what you're sharing so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. I want to close by talking about where for Peter and where it needs to be for us, our ultimate hope is found. Our ultimate hope is found in Christ, our forerunner, the author of our faith, the, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He's gone before us. His victory is what gives us hope as we follow in his steps. That's why he says in verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That last phrase, that he might bring us to God, is a cool one. There were some kings that had an official introducer. That's what he's painting Jesus as, our, our introducer to God. If you turn to Jesus in repentance and faith, he becomes your introducer to the Heavenly Father on high. You, you walk into his throne room. He suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. I want to jump to verse 22 for a minute, because it's not just that he forgave our sins. Listen to the, where Jesus is today. Verse 22, he has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Now, that's a cool truth just on its own, but you got to ask, what did that mean to a church that was suffering persecution in this world? How does that give them hope? Listen, many people in the world, when they saw Jesus on the cross, what did they assume? That's the end of him. That's it. He died a criminal's death. We're done with him. That's it. That's the end. Peter's saying that wasn't the end. Because he came back to life and ascended to the Father's right hand. And the hope for the believers Peter was writing to is, hey, we're going to follow in his footsteps. Even if they take your life down here, trust me, that is not the end. So you're going to join Jesus. Now in between those two great promises in 18 and 22 is one of the most complex passages in the whole New Testament. Listen to this. Talking about Jesus, verse 18, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. There's all kinds of questions about this that have been wrestled over for 2,000 years. Who did Jesus preach to? When? And what did he preach? And I can tell you with 100% confidence, I am not 100% sure. <laughs> Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this, a wonderful text is this, and a more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament, so that I do not know for certainty what Peter means. <laughs> I would encourage you to study it. I didn't study it. There are multiple views. If you want to check it out this week, 
online a free commentary I highly recommend Google Thomas Constable first Peter commentary and go to this chapter and look at all the different views and and you come to what you believe about that little section it's worth studying but it is complex but I do want to close he, there's some thoughts on Christian baptism at verse 21 baptism which corresponds to this you say corresponds to what Peter we got to go back to verse 20 it corresponds to what he said there in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few that is eight persons were brought safely through water okay it's starting to come together now somehow baptism corresponds to the story of Noah and the ark okay he says in verse 21 baptism which corresponds to this now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're a thoughtful reader, you're saying, how in the world does Christian baptism correspond to the ark? The good question. Peter said some of Paul's writings were confusing. <laughs> I think Paul could have said the same thing about Peter here. But think about it. They both involve water, right? They both involve death for sin and salvation for those who believe. Now think about the ark. Okay, go back to Noah's time. The same water that brought death to those who refused to believe Noah's message lifted the eight who did believe to salvation because they entered the ark in faith. Right? Now think about Christian baptism. God's judgment on sin spells eternal death for all who reject Christ today. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But for the believer, think about that picture of baptism. You're lowered into the water. It's a picture that the believer who is buried with Christ in his death and raised to new life with him is saved because... Jesus said it's finished. He paid it all. And when we're united with him by faith, we are saved. For those who trust in Christ, who receive him in faith, God's judgment upon sin becomes salvation because he took God's judgment for us. Jesus is our art today. God's judgment is coming on this world and biblically speaking it's already upon those who have not received Christ that's why your choice is urgent P Peter in another place was with Jesus when he heard Jesus say this in Matthew as were the days of Noah so will be the coming of the Son of Man for as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Many of those people say, there's no flood coming. Many people today say, there ain't no return of Jesus coming. That's why Jesus said it's going to be just like that, the Son of Man. Have you entered into the ark of Jesus Christ? John 3.16, listen, if you have not, these are words of life for you. 
grab onto these. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Have you believed? He goes on to say, whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Have you entered by faith into the ark of Jesus Christ? Clarification. Does the act of water baptism, that physical act, save anybody? No. Not if you know your Bible. That's why Peter says, not as a removal of dirt from the body. He's saying it's not this physical thing that, that saves you. This is what's Paul saying in Ephesians 2, verse 8? It is by grace you've been saved. Through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And physical baptism, as important as it is, as a step of obedience to Jesus Christ, is a work. Okay? But the reality that baptism represents is what saves us. That's why he says, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where our confidence and our hope comes, even in the darkest days, being united to Christ by faith in his death and resurrection. A couple weeks ago, as I close, my mind was racing back this morning to a conversation we were having at our dinner table about some of the winds of change in our culture that, that for the most part, being in America is and has been a, a fairly peaceful place for, for Christians to live out their faith. But every now and again, you catch winds of change out there in the news. There's this growing hostility towards people of faith in Jesus. And, and we were just talking about some of where we saw that and different things going on. And it was our 14-year-old. He said something. It's out of nowhere. He said, I'm not afraid to die. I know where I'm going. I got to tell you, as a parent, it's one of those things you kind of cringe at because that's your, your kid. On the one hand, you're like, you don't want to think about that as a parent. But on the other hand, there's this great joy. I mean, as a 14-year-old, sometimes we're, we're led by the kids, right? I know where I'm going. And I think as we think about that, that moment, I think it's a good question to ask. Could I say the same thing today? I'm not afraid. I know where I'm going. Do you know? If you don't, come to the cross. Come to Jesus. Lay down your sin. Turn to Him in repentance and faith. Find His life and strength in you, and you will know. You'll have that hope to hold on to. Lord, thank You that Peter does not pull any punches with these early Christians. And truth be told, they, they were going through things uh, far more intense than we've ever faced in our lifetimes for most of us. But the hope was nonetheless real for them because it's a hope in Jesus Christ, the living one, who is far above all rule and authority and power. And I pray that no one would leave this room 
with a question mark. The end is coming, believe it or not. May we all be sure that we're in the ark of Jesus Christ by faith. In his name we pray, amen.